Welcome to the Book Talk Podcast, produced by the Better Living Institute and sponsored by AppJudo for your software needs, BulletPad for building lists on your iPad, and also sponsored by donations from our listeners. That's folks like you. We're Kira and Bill Van Ittersom, and today we're going to be discussing a really wonderful book that's sort of taken the world by storm. It's become very influential since its first publication in 1998. The book is The Art of Happiness, A Handbook for Living, by His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, and Howard C. Cutler, M.D., Psychiatrist. And our copy is the 10th Anniversary Edition, copyright 2008. So the premise, being happy, is not only your birthright as a human being. According to the Dalai Lama, it is your duty, your mandate, to become happy. The Dalai Lama says you could be trained in happiness much the same way that you could be trained in any other skill and you could directly cultivate it through effort and practice. So it sounds like tennis or golf or some other skill that you practice, study, and get better at. This whole study of happiness has actually turned into a full science. Psychology now has a whole area called positive psychology, where they study happiness among the other positive things of life. And a lot of that came about as a result of this book, actually. And that's very interesting. Howard C. Cutler, MD psychiatrist, has had a lot of influence on the field and on spurring this whole thinking. And why? What's important about it? So what if you're happy or you're not happy? Well, here's some of the benefits that accrue to you and your family and your community by being happy. Happy people experience greater success in all areas of their life. They enjoy stronger, more satisfying marriages and relationships, and their family life is better. They're better parents, and they're better grandparents. Not only that, but people are healthier. They're physically and mentally healthier, and they live longer. They have less stress in their lives when they're happy, and they perform better. They earn more money, and they take fewer sick days. These are things that they now know scientifically from studies that have been done. Having more happiness also means that you'll have more compassion for other people, so you'll be in less conflicts, and there'll be a lot less road rage in the world. (laughs) That's important. (laughs) Yeah, and happy people are more sociable, too. I would say they're not as rigid. They're much more flexible and amenable to other people. They're creative, and they find creative ways to solve problems. They're much more tolerant around other people. Happy people are just more loving and more forgiving. They exhibit more openness, and they're just much more willing to help other people. That's true. So what you can see really is that people who are happy It not only benefits them, but it actually benefits their families and their communities and society as a whole. So happiness is a prescription for harmony in the world. Happiness is contagious as well. It spreads across social relationships just like a virus, even spreading across countries. Countries that have a higher happiness quotient actually also seem to have more freedom and more democracy. And there's positive emotions 
that act as an antidote to prejudice, all because of happiness. So, in view of all these scientific studies, we now do know that if you're truly concerned about the welfare of others and you want to build a better world, it really is your duty to be happy, or at least do what you can to become happier. Bill and I think this is a very important subject, and that's one of the reasons we really did want to discuss this book. Unhappy people are very self-focused, and they're withdrawn, they're brooding, they're antagonistic, they want to fight all the time. And, and they're so, not fun to be around. <laughs> no, they're not. And they create a lot of destruction in the world. So what is the link between personal happiness, kindness, compassion, and caring for others? Well, increased happiness does lead to greater compassion, and then increased compassion automatically leads to greater happiness. Yeah, they're kind of like two sides of the same coin. Just the very act of concern for others' well-being creates a greater sense of well-being within yourself. Actually, the Dalai Lama says that the whole purpose of life is to be happy. So everything leads back to that premise. You can access more happiness through personal training, as we said earlier in the podcast. Dalai Lama has specific instructions to get you going in that. That's true. He has a very logical mind. He's one of these people that he just sets it all out there. And if you do this, this is a logical consequence. So, so he says, first, identify the factors in your life that lead to happiness. Sounds simple enough. Second, identify those factors in your life that lead to personal suffering. Then, begin to cultivate the former and eliminate the latter. <laughs> See what I mean? Logic. <laughs> that almost sounds like... Find out what know, makes you happy, and then look at what makes you unhappy, and do the things that make you happy. <laughs> Very logical. So that's a tricky thing, because for a lot of people, they never even stop to think. What is it that truly makes me happy? So he's got some suggestions that will help you to begin to uncover or unlock that part of yourself. He said that happiness is more of a state of mind than it is an external condition. That good fortune nor loss will really affect happiness very much in the long run. We know that's true. I mean, if you read about the people who win lots of money in the lottery and they think that's going to make them happy, Generally, that happiness doesn't last all that long. It really doesn't matter what's going on externally. It really is an attitude that we're talking about here. It's like a set point. So to be happier or to have more happiness, you need to raise your set point. And that is just an internal point of view or peace of mind. It's basically your happiness quotient. And it will spring back to a baseline no matter what happens in the exterior. So the Dalai Lama says that the practice of actually counting our blessings and seeing the good in our life and practicing gratitude overall makes us happier. If you put your attention on the things that make you happy, you will create more happiness. He does caution that this whole process is not simple or even simplistic, that you do need inner discipline and an inner dialogue to bring a calm, clear mind. The antidote is really contentment for your negativity, for greed, for anger. The antidote is contentment and patience. 
So it's, it's how you're focusing your mental energy that will largely determine your degree of happiness is what we're saying here. There are four factors of fulfillment that embrace the totality of an individual's quest for happiness. The first is wealth, followed by worldly satisfaction, followed by spirituality, and then finally enlightenment. I like the way he puts that because number one on the list is wealth. And a lot of people might not think that we're not just talking about money here, by the way, when we talk about wealth. And Bill and I have said this over and over again as we're discussing the various books that we discuss. But wealth is determined by a lot of different things that create happiness. Certainly wonderful relationships and a great family that you can rely on. But I do want to point out that money is a factor. And I like the fact that he brings that up because, of course, we on our site at the Better Living Institute talk about wealth, health, and happiness as being our primary focus. And that's because we really want people to become happy and we want them to have those aspects of spirituality that make their life richer and more fun. So it really is our desire to create happiness and joy in the world. The state of mind, as I just mentioned, is very key. In fact, it's absolutely crucial to your level of happiness. The greater your peace of mind, the greater the ability that you have to be happy and have an enjoyable life. If you can rely on warmth and affection from other people or from your pets, this can give you an internal sense of worth that can help you to overcome many of the adversities of life. That's true. The Dalai Lama even mentions that making balanced decisions regarding pleasure lead to a more ultimate happiness and not just a sporadic or short-lived one. You know, he says anything that we do, we should ultimately ask ourselves, will this bring me happiness, long-term happiness? Some more suggestions for training your mind. He says that you can observe your emotions and that positive emotions will benefit or help you, and negative emotions are going to be harmful to you. There again, it sounds very logical and very pat, but he knows that there's a much deeper understanding of all of it. He suggests that you judge your emotions in terms of how much happiness they bring you, and not strictly based on an arbitrary moral yardstick. So he's not really talking about whether something is right or wrong, but actually the effect that it's having on your life and on the life of those around you. And specifically on how well it builds or detracts from your personal happiness. Specifically, yes. He says that this happiness or lack of happiness is really largely in your own hands. So you need to cherish, develop, and increase the positive emotions even when it seems difficult to do that. And you must be determined to face and overcome your negative emotions, even when it's difficult to do that. He says that hatred and jealousy and even anger, all the harmful types of emotions that we have, actually spawn more of the same. They spawn things like fear and inhibition and insecurity. You become lonely in the world. And then, you know, when you're operating from that viewpoint, the world appears to be very hostile. One negative thing builds on another, and vice versa, one positive thing builds on another. 
Sure, because compassionate, warm, kind-hearted people are basically healthy, and they have an open heart, and they communicate and relate better, and they have a spirit of friendship and less need to hide things from other people. Others appear to be just like them, or just like me, or just like you, so that we don't see the differences. Oh, you're different than me, and I'm sure I must not like you. Now, unless you're in the habit of trying to practice happiness, old negative practices do gradually take over. We all encounter people that talk about other people and talk about all the negative aspects of them or the things they don't like about the world. That is a habit that some people have, and it tends to be their pastime. When you focus on positive things, you're more fun to be around. (laughs) And people don't regret having to open the door and seeing your face. They're welcoming you because they like to be around people who are happy. And of course, this is because positive practices will gradually diminish old negative habits. And so you can replace all of your negative conditioning with positive conditioning. The Dalai Lama cautions that this is not instantaneous, that this will take a long time. But he also suggests that if you stay focused, that it will happen. Another thing that the Dalai Lama points out, and I think this is an important point, is that just doing wholesome deeds doesn't come naturally. We have to consciously train our minds in that direction. You would think that people are just born being gentle and compassionate, and that we just don't have to put forth any effort in that regard. But that's not really true. He says that to be gentle and compassionate, that we must develop an appreciation and an awareness of these, what he calls, arts. And these are things that we can train ourselves to be better at. So we need to change the way we see ourselves. We need to change our internal voice and our internal definition of what is our true nature. We need to be telling ourselves good things, giving ourselves good positive messages on a consistent basis. Yes, that's right. And unfortunately, a lot of the educational history that we get in the Western world, like to help us become more clever and genius, he says is basically useless in the pursuit of true happiness and compassion. Sure, it's needed for gaining the career that you want to move into, but you need the inner knowledge and discipline of how wholesome activities lead toward a development of a good heart. And unfortunately, rarely do I see that taught at school. That's true. There's usually a lot of pranks. People are making fun of other people. These kind of things are very common. We notice this, especially in the young people. And it's permeated through a lot of the culture. It's in a lot of the movies. I know as my children were growing up, I used to watch a lot of the sitcoms that they would watch on television, and I was appalled at the way these children would make fun of their parents when their parents were not in the room. I hadn't grown up with that kind of an attitude, and it was hard for me to see that as a normal way of being, and I didn't like that my children were seeing that as a normal way of being. But it is sort of the attitude of the culture that we live in today. So how do you reclaim your inner state of happiness? Well, the inner core, the hardwiring of all humans is really completely untainted by negative emotions or thoughts. So basically, people are trained to be negative from the time they're little. The environment they live in, their household, the way their parents are. 
So sentient beings fundamentally are gentle and non-aggressive. Your physical well-being and health will thrive in an environment that is calm and loving. So then what does it take to get back to that root? Well, I know that what my children claim that we did is pretty much what the Dalai Lama recommends, and that is to give a lot of affection and tenderness and support and to display these gentler emotions, to show appreciation for one another as family members and respect and high regard. We're all really endowed with this seed of compassion. This is how the Dalai Lama puts it. And he says that through our own directed efforts, that seed of compassion can actually flourish. As Bill said, babies come into life with an innate ability to elicit love from all the caregivers in their lives. They have an ability to bring that out in you. Of course, some babies have the ability (laughs) to test you as well, but it's really something that we need to train ourselves in so that we can create more harmony in our lives. If we're giving out love and compassion, it's likely that we're going to get that in return. So if you can combine human intelligence and human goodness or affection towards others in a balanced way, all human actions will then become constructive. The Dalai Lama says that the ultimate solution to our conflicts, and this is both our internal and our external conflicts, lies in returning to the basic or underlying human nature, which he calls gentle and compassionate. You can believe that human nature is compassionate rather than aggressive at its core, that our relationship to the world changes by how we magnify the compassion. Then we begin to relax and trust and live in ease. We do become happier. Now, on the negative side... And we all do have a negative side if we're not taking care to cultivate these positive qualities. Feeling negative can be destructive to your health. Things like anger, violence, aggression, all of these secondary emotions that occur mostly out of frustration because we're not experiencing the level of love and affection that's natural to us. And for some reason or other, we have not been trained in how to get that love and affection that we want. Out of frustration, we can become angry. We can have feelings of violence toward others and aggression toward others. We don't like it when we're not held in high regard by other people. And so hatred can be the greatest stumbling block to the development of compassion and happiness. A little bit of negativity goes a long way. Let me put it that way. We need to be so guarded against it because even a little bit of negativity is toxic to our lives. Well, anger doesn't just hurt other people, and it doesn't just hurt your family or your relationships or your loved ones, especially when you explode. But anger hurts you, and anger can cause disease, and sometimes anger can even cause a premature death. A lot of heart disease is laid at the foot of anger, and so are some of the other major diseases of the body. So. It's actually to your best interest to find ways to absolve anger rather than holding on to it and exploding with it. Yes, the Dalai Lama says that anger and hatred is 100% invested in no other purpose than destroying you. Those are his words. So for that reason alone, we should never give in to any anger that arises within us. And again, that's not easy to do. It takes conscious thought and conscious practice. 
you can be very intelligent and not understand that human compassion is so important in the world. If you don't have that understanding, you can wreak havoc in the world. This is one of the reasons we have the wars that we have. But it is important to know that the reverse is also true. You can use that same intelligence that created so many problems and use it to find ways to overcome all that negativity. We have the potential to develop into gentle, caring people, or we have the potential to become violent and aggressive people. And the impulse that gets emphasized is really a matter of training and attention. It's kind of like that story of the two wolves. And at the end, they say, well, which wolf wins, the kind wolf or the violent, aggressive wolf? And the Indian master says to the student, well, the one you feed is the one who wins. And the Dalai Lama also points out in this book that there is no real self-reliance in the world. It's only an illusion because no one really does exist solely unto himself. A lack of compassion in the world pretty much leads to ruthlessness and destruction. We need to take a break for a moment to thank a sponsor. This segment of our program is sponsored by App Judo, your complete web and mobile application development service. The Japanese word judo means the gentle way. The martial art of judo got this name because it signifies maximum efficiency and mutual welfare and benefit. App Judo follows these same principles in all its software development projects using the best technologies and computer science principles to serve clients' needs elegantly and intelligently. App Judo prides itself on building attractive and intuitive user interfaces that your customers will easily understand and love to use. Whether you want to design and build a new app or refactor and redesign an existing app, App Judo can help make your project a success. Visit AppJudo today at www.appjudo.com. So what is the role of meditation in happiness? We hear that word all the time. How can meditation help to build your happiness quotient? Well, if you take an hour or an afternoon, even several days, to simply reflect on what truly brings you happiness. So as we said earlier, you have to find out What are the things in your own life that bring happiness to you? And then you begin to do those things. You begin to see a better direction to go in toward making those things a reality in your own life. You can reset your priorities to help accomplish this. And you begin to sort of do it in a more systematic way so that you can begin to change really the rest of your whole life. So meditation and contemplation If you look at it in this way, they really do give you the meaning of your life. What is your life's purpose? What do you need to do to be positive? We weren't really born to go out and cause trouble and harm other people. To have a life that's full of value, we have to learn to develop this warmth and kindness and compassion. And then our life really can become meaningful and peaceful and happy. So what happens to your relationships? when you began to build on inner happiness. So when trying to understand how to work through relationship problems, the first stage in the process is to deliberately reflect on the underlying nature and the basis of that relationship. And of course, each one of your relationships. Recognize 
that there are different types of relationships, and then try to understand how they're different. And that's true. You know, some of our relationships are built on things like power and position in our jobs and that sort of thing, even in our families. Some relationships are based on true human feelings. We need to be able to determine what kind of relationships we're in. Do we want to remain in them? And especially close relationships that hopefully are built on sharing and connectedness to help them keep close. This is a genuine friendship, and it's not affected by status, but rather feelings of affection. Right. In marriages or love relationships, it's sometimes an initial sexual attraction that's the basis of the relationship. Marriages that last, last because they're not built on this sense of power or passion or lust or even romantic love. It can be short-lived. Romance is something that's kind of hard to sustain over time. But with focus and the attention that a marriage deserves, a loving relationship can build. It builds on the actual values of friendship and the bond that's created between two people who love each other in a much deeper way. And also share their inner thoughts and their inner desires and the other aspects about themselves so that there's more to it than just a very surface thing. There's something that you're getting and able to give in this two-way street relationship. Right. Also, shared values. What matters to you? What is your desire in life? What is it that you want to create? And what kind of a relationship are you creating as a couple? The Dalai Lama says that long-lasting relationships are really more of a multidimensional relationship, and they do require mutual affection. They require a great deal of respect and dignity between two people. So what is the role of suffering in your quest for happiness? Because suffering is really what he would call the opposite of the happiness quotient and also something that most people want to stay away from. Well, some of the things that create suffering are things that we absolutely just have no control over. And one of those things is the death of a loved one. Anytime something or someone that we love leaves our life, that leaves a big hole, and we do suffer. Physical and mental illness is a source of suffering and also something that you really have no control over. And the decline that occurs in old age. And sometimes unexpected atrocities that you might see on the news or hear about that enter your sphere. Maybe you didn't want them to, but there they are. And they do lead to personal and internal suffering. And so logic would just tell you that when you are suffering over these kinds of things, most of us would like to just avoid them and never have them come up. But it is appropriate to actually seek out what is causing your unhappiness and then do whatever you can to overcome or alleviate these problems. When you're losing someone that you love, this is why we have groups that gather to discuss common issues like the love of a lost one. We have grief counseling. And when people are in airplane crashes, they have special counselors that go there and deal with the people who have gone through this terrible atrocity. So it is appropriate to search for solutions like that. When there's a lot of suffering, it's appropriate to find some kind of counseling or some kind of understanding, an outlet for how to discuss and find ways to overcome it. 
And that's a very constructive way to deal with your suffering. If you view suffering as purely an unnatural state and you try to avoid it or run from it, or you feel that it's something to be feared and rejected, then you will never really begin to uproot the causes to dislodge it and then to initiate a happier life. So if you have refusal to accept suffering as a natural part of your life, this could bring you to think of yourself as a perpetual victim and cause you to blame others for your problems and your suffering rather than deal with it and confront it. Yeah, just because this is a book about happiness, it doesn't mean that, you know, we live in la-la land and that we're just ignoring all of the negative aspects of being here in the physical. And there are some things that we just have no control over that we need to address. Now, while you are addressing them, the Dalai Lama cautions people not to relive the suffering over and over again. In the short run, it may even add a degree of excitement to your life, and it can even elicit some attention and sympathy from others. But in the long run, this is a poor trade-off for the unhappiness that you continue to churn in your inner life. Dwelling on these negative experiences and the unhappy feelings that they created perpetuates negativity and continues it into your future. So you begin to live into your own negativity. So once again, we're talking about attention. Whatever you're putting your attention on is growing. So when you're putting your attention on the suffering, then you are reliving it over and over again. It can't really get better if you continue to put emphasis on it. But you do need to discuss aspects of it so that you begin to actually look at them and then overcome them. I'm not saying ignore it, but actually take a look at what's causing it and remedies for the situation, not just to relive it over and over again and wallow in that suffering. Now, one of the other interesting ideas about suffering that the Dalai Lama shares is that whether an event causes suffering in your life or whether it does not is largely due to the meaning that you have previously placed on that beforehand. Let's say that someone purposely disturbs you, or worse, they can only cause you suffering if you allow yourself to be disturbed and to take on that suffering. So your personal decision having to do with their actions is really key. It reminds me of the title to this book that I read once, which is What You Think of Me Is None of My Business. <laughs> and it's basically, we can't really live our lives based on what other people think of us or what they surmise about us. Sure, because you can modify your internal thoughts and whether or not you take on this suffering and the extent to which you will suffer by deciding to or deciding not to. So by personalizing every little annoying situation and thinking that it is intentionally against you, that will make you yourselves and those around you very miserable and cause you a great deal of suffering. And that, he's trying to point out, is a choice. It's your choice. Now, some of us, maybe with age, kind of mature out of this attitude, but some people sort of feel that they suffer this unbearable, intense grief, and they don't realize, maybe they don't have the life experience to know that they'll actually grow beyond that grief. But when you're stuck in this self-centered feeling that you are the only person in the world who can suffer so intensely, 
then, you know, you truly are stuck in your own misery. It's very hard to overcome that kind of misery when you are so focused and so intent on suffering for suffering's sake. One of the possible solutions to that is to take an honest search within yourself for your own possible contribution to this problem and then try to shift your focus and your awareness so that you begin to feel less like a victim. And it may turn out that you don't have a contribution. It may turn out that your spouse died or one of your parents died or a very, very close friend died or something along that lines. And you do feel like you have no causation in this. But to still look within yourself to find a way to grow out of the misery. And very often there are those among us who are very sensitive to our own behavior and maybe have a lot of regrets over things that we've done that maybe we feel have hurt others or maybe something we feel we haven't lived up to our own standards. The only thing we can do is begin to understand and then forgive ourselves. All of our mistakes make us wiser. It's a good thing that we make mistakes because if we didn't, we would never learn to be wiser. So we have to learn to be kind and forgiving not only to others, but also ourselves when we do make mistakes. If you're really, really honest, you'll discover that no activity or no mistake or no negative experience is 100% negative. That oftentimes a very special gift is within that experience of suffering that will cause you tremendous growth and perhaps even change your life. So another possible solution is to look for what might be a benefit or what might be a growth place to that suffering. I've often said I've done a lot of dumb things in my life, and I think that this is how you get to be smarter. (laughs) You know, I wouldn't be as smart as I am today if I hadn't done a lot of the dumb things I've done. And that's true of all of us. We're going to take a break here for a moment to thank a sponsor. This segment of our podcast is sponsored by BulletPad, the fun and intuitive app for writing outlines and organizing your thoughts on your iPad. With BulletPad, you can quickly create a hierarchical list of bullet points, giving structure to your great ideas. BulletPad is a great tool for writers and thinkers, featuring a simple but powerful toolbar above the keyboard to help you navigate your text with arrow keys and to change the indent of your bullet points. Use drag and drop to move your bullet points anywhere in the list. Use the zoom in feature to drill down on any section of your list or use zoom out to get the big picture view. BulletPad is available now for free. Just go to the App Store on your iPad and search for Bullet Pad. So then what is the process of change? We've talked about how to turn your life around. So the Dalai Lama says the first step is to learn. He says that conviction helps you increase your commitment, and then your commitment turns into determination, and then your determination will transform into action and making a sustained effort to implement the actual change And if you're going to have success with your action, you will discover that your effort becomes essential. Having a sustained effort to implement that action is absolutely paramount. We know that this is true with other things that we try to create in our lives. You know, if we want to lose weight, if we want to get in shape, if we want to learn how to speak another language, whatever it is that we're trying to achieve in life, 
We know that it takes sustained effort and conviction. And, you know, it doesn't come as a big surprise. But people often don't think of happiness this way. And happiness really is just a learned behavior. We need to begin to understand being happy means being happy consistently. It means putting your attention on doing that, which makes you happy in a very consistent way. So it means that you place a strong sense of urgency on developing this happiness for your own good, for your own success, for your own development. To have a strong enthusiasm, you need a strong sense of urgency. And of course, this is true whether you're studying happiness or whether you're studying for your career or any of the other things that you want to grow into in your life. As a young person, I used to kind of dislike a lot of structure. I thought that I wanted to be more spontaneous and I didn't want anything so regimented in my life. What I've come to realize is that with focused structure, you can create anything into your life. But yes, you do have to have some consistent parameters. You do have to kind of know where you're going and how you're going to get there. And that's what the Dalai Lama has pointed out. It takes a lot of self-examination. What is it that makes you happy? What is it that you want to do with your life? What is your purpose in being here? What can you contribute? When you begin to focus on all of those things, you will be a much, much happier person. And he says this is the way to become a true hero. He says that to gain personal victory over hatred and anger, it's a very hard and arduous process. So for those people who achieve that, you are, in his mind, a personal hero. And I think that's one of the reasons he's such a great hero in the world. Because he has overcome major atrocities in his life. You know, he's been kicked out of his own country. Leave or die, basically, was the way it was put. It is hard to have forgiveness for those who are committing such atrocities against very innocent people who have really no choice. So, he knows. And I do think he's a wonderful hero in that regard. He says that with the practice and effort, that forgiveness will become a natural part of your being instead of anger and hatred and any of the other negative emotions. But this is a practice thing. We've been practicing it for quite a while, and I can't say that I live there as yet, but it is a goal. It is. The goal is to not be reactive, but to be responsive, you know, responding in the way that we wish to respond rather than just reacting to the situation as perceived. So we hope that you can get a copy of this book, The Art of Happiness, by His Holiness the Dalai Lama, and written with Howard C. Cutler, MD, psychiatrist. It's a really great read. It does go over some of these ideas a few times so that you can see them from different perspectives. And I think that's a helpful way to present all of these different ideas. I like the way that it is presented, the fact that it does have a psychiatrist, a person who knows a great deal about human behavior, actually asking questions of the Dalai Lama and then examining the answers. And you find that he's an extremely thoughtful person. Dr. Cutler has many different perspectives based on what is happening at the time that he's asking these questions. 
He has different reasons for asking the questions, and it's very interesting to see how he does present the responses that he's been getting from the Dalai Lama. So it's a very interesting way to look at the subject. Bill and I want to thank you for listening today. You can subscribe to our show by going to the iTunes podcast and just look for the Better Living Institute Book Talk podcast. Or you can find us at our own website by going to www.betterlivinginstitute.com. And there you can see all of our podcasts, our articles, and our products. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, we hope that you'll share it with your friends and family. Thanks again for being with us, and please join us again next week. For the Better Living Institute, this is Kira and Bill Van Ittersong.